Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Every podcast from the very beginning was an adventure and is still an adventure. Why? Because it's unscripted. I know with whom I'm going to speak sometimes, but not always. Sometimes it's the very first time I've met someone and we're going to launch right into a conversation about what matters to them as practice. And that certainly was what happened in this conversation. While I have known Jen Grace and respected her work as a now published author and editor publisher, and you'll hear about that work, I've never met Stephen Higgins, who's vice principal of the Oliver Ellsworth Elementary School here in Connecticut. Wow, what a great surprise for me to learn the work that Stephen has done with 100 authors in that school, all of whom are under the age of eight. <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, you don't have to. You'll hear him talk about it. You'll hear Jen explain how it all came together in the book. And one day, when there's a book signing, there'll be a lot of very small hands holding on those pens with great big grins of pride. So here are Jen Grace and Stephen Higgins. Well, folks, this is a, a, a triple pleasure for me because there'll be three of us talking. Therefore, I hope the pleasure will be yours as well. In, in many cases, it's me talking with one person, but this is, this is one of those great um, serendipitous happenings. I've been very active in a couple of networks, uh, one of which hosted by uh, Rebecca, who sent me a note saying that Jen Grace and Stephen Higgins uh, are doing some really creative things in the area of enhancing their practices how about you inviting them in for a conversation? <laughs> so here we are. It worked. And I will thank Rebecca Dijon for that, uh, for that intro. Uh, Jen is uh, founder of Publish Your Purpose. And Stephen is the vice principal of the... Oliver Ellsworth School. Short-term memory work in here, Stephen. Thank you so much. <laughs> Let me start by asking you, Jen, how did you two um, connect? Oh, that's a great question. So I have a friend who happens to also work in the Windsor School District, and she had told me that the school is working on a book project, and Stephen was in need of some guidance on how to go about doing that, and then she connected us. We had an awesome conversation, and here we are about, I don't know, it's probably like eight months later. I feel like we started this, started the conversation probably in October or November of 2020. So, you know, it takes a bit of time to get a book done. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Tell us about the book. Oh man, the I Am Me uh, book project is a cultural book and it's, it's purposefully inclusive of our individual student experience. So um, at Oliver Ellsworth School in Connecticut, uh, we were a pre-K through two school with roughly about 450 students. 
Um, the Windsor community is unique because it has sustained diversity, both racially and socioeconomically. And so this book has over a hundred cultural stories um, from our students, some of our family, as well as staff. And these amazing stories tell about our community. And we have these young authors. These are four, five, six, seven, and eight-year-old authors who bring you into their lives. They tell you some of their fears, what they value, and like the sacred rituals and routines that make them who they are and um, how their family works. Whoa, what a treasure. Jen, what's, what do you see as the, uh, the, the publishing future of, of this very unique book? I feel like the sky is the limit. This is, you know, I've published over 70 books. We're encroaching on 80 at this point. And mm -hmm. this one by far, I don't think any of my authors would take offense to this, but this one by far, I feel like has such great meaning to it because of what Stephen just said in regards to thinking about a four, five, six, seven, or eight-year-old being able to say that they're a published author. I feel like there's so much power in that for such a young person to be able to take with them for the rest of their lives. And for me, I just feel like I get chills half the time when I'm telling people about like how awesome this project is. And so I feel like my hope for it is that all of these kids that have participated and the families that have participated all share some kind of collective bond of we did this thing together that they can kind of carry through forever. And I'm hoping that, you know, other people will, will see this project and say, I need to do that for, for our school. I need to empower our yeah. young, young people because it, it's interesting because before we hit record, Stephen, you were saying something and it struck me that oftentimes when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion work, we're talking about the workplace. Almost all the time, the conversation is around the workplace. But the reality is that schools are also the workplace. And it's so important for students to be able to show up and feel welcomed and valued and respected and seen and all of those things. So there's a whole other kind of inherent kind of component to this too, that I think is just going to have a huge ripple effect. I'm thinking about a, a five or six-year-old who today will have her name in, in the book with her story. In her words, I assume, are pretty, pretty close. Now, can you imagine, Stephen, let's see, she's five, 20 years from now. She's 25. Do you think she'll still see herself, among other things, as a practicing author? Uh, I do. I do. I think that this that our relationship uh, with Jen is amazing because these are authors who are learning that writing is an expression that can create love. And so it's love within yourself because they're celebrating who they are and it's okay. It's okay that um, they, not, they might not be exact to what our um, commercial ideals of the world are, mm -hmm. but their story is special they should celebrate that. They should have self-esteem and self-efficacy. And so not only do I think that will make them brilliant writers in the future, but I think that, that it, they'll just feel brilliant, period. And um, they are. And so so we're happy to celebrate that. I certainly would not argue with that, uh, the notion that they are brilliant. And as a college educator for most of my 50 plus years, uh, I was always a little bit saddened by the 20-some-year-old who came to my class 
And I could sense that once <laughs> they had that feeling about themselves, once they could use those imaginations and run well with them and, and all of that. But over the years of uh, maybe somewhat uh, restricted thinking and schooling, and I think you're probably challenging that already, uh, it kind of got lost. And I had to sometimes pull on that rope real hard to get them to be playful again in my classes. Uh, but it was necessary. Uh, Jen, you, you had now helped a lot of different people become authors. It, it, uh, only creative people coming to you? Or have you found some people say, I'd love to tell a story. I've got the story. But, you know, I, my confidence needs a real push. That, I think, is the conversation I have on a pretty regular basis is around <laughs> imposter syndrome. So often people have such an incredible story to share. And for whatever reason, they've been beaten down over mm -hmm. the years in, in their schooling or in their education or in their workplace where their story is devalued. And so it's kind of like, I have to be a cheerleader to kind of like pump them up and amp them up to say, no, like your story, your story matters. Someone needs to hear your story. And so it's interesting because I would say that all authors have written a book, but not so. So it's kind of like this whole idea of just because you're an author doesn't mean you're a good writer. So it doesn't <laughs> like have to, it doesn't have to mean that you're a good writer, but that's the beautiful part about kind of the publishing process is that if you're working with the right people, your book can still be something of value that people can, can mm. really uh, use, even if you yourself don't consider yourself a good writer, or even if other people have told you you aren't a good writer. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a matter of kind of following that dream of, of becoming an author, despite what others may have said about you. I, I want to touch real hard on that, what you said, Jen, because in the months and years now that I, and then before that, Peter Vale and I really thought deeply about the nature of practice, here's one thing we said, guess who decides whether you're a practitioner? Not always the certifiers or the external people. If you have decided that you want to express yourself, in your case, as, as an author. An author you are now. <laughs> You've got a responsibility yourself to set some results out there and work for them, meaning you're going to get some coaching to get to be better writers, watch your grammar, all of that. But you have to decide you're an author. And, and Stephen, um, when did you decide can you go back? We're talking about your 25-year-old, 5-year-old. Can you remember when you decided you're a teacher? Uh, you know, at, at, as, at a very young age, um, my parents used to tell me that I was beautiful and that I was going to be an educator wow. and that my grandfather was an educator. And so that's what I was going to do. So at a very young age, at the age that I have, I think that's the part of the attraction to being a pre-K through two administrator um, is the effect, the long lasting effect you can have on it. That's just a belief that you keep hearing over and over and over again. When it gets to those large transitions and those steps, there's zero fear because it's just the next thing that you're supposed to do. And I really always felt that. Um, I didn't know if it was gonna be psychology. I didn't know if it was gonna be, if I was gonna end up as an administrator or, or where this road would end, but I knew it started with education and me going to school. Is there any point when uh, you felt discouraged about arriving where you are today? Uh, yeah, I think that you have difficulties because of 
who you are. So we all have our challenges because of our own specific makeup. And so, but I always had a strong support base. Like I've been truly fortunate in my road, one to have the strong supportive parents that I've had, um, the people who I've met to help me. And even in my current day job, it's like, you know, equity is difficult. It's emotionally charged and to explore what we're exploring to have the support of our superintendent, Dr. Hill, to have um, Bonnie Feynman connect me to Jen, to have yeah. a principal who allows their VP to function in the way that he is functioning, to really pay attention to the culture and the climate of the students and to raise student voice is all unique practices in itself because we're being very adaptive and a lot of technical solutions are accepted and they're easier. Oh, but yeah. there's there's so much time and there's so much precedence to do this work adaptively, which in a lot of cases takes a lot more collection of information, time, communication, collaboration, all the things that um, I've been fortunate enough to ex experience with Publish Your Purpose. It's been um, it's been an outstanding roller coaster. So I'm very fortunate in that way. Then. Uh back to you about when people start feeling a little nervous about how far they can go in a particular project. Uh, can you think of a time when this wonderful book might have not happened? <laughs> oh. <laughs> there's always in every book project, there's always that moment where yeah. things go really off the rails very quickly. Yeah. And this process, you know, going into it, just thinking about collecting over a hundred stories where there's a child involved, like just thinking of the logistics of that on, on its own, I think we can all kind of imagine how difficult that might be. But the, the whole team that's been responsible at Oliver Ellsworth has been so amazing in terms of the way that they've come together and organized and systematized. And it's been beautiful. But I would say if there was one area where it could have gone off the rails was actually in the printing process, which is the the least of the, the challenges typically, <laughs> but you know, we, we want to make sure that we get it out in a timely fashion. And so it's accessible for the students and their families who participated in it. And so sometimes we have to be very charming to our vendors who are supplying certain things to us to just kind of coax them along to be a little bit faster than a, a typical timeline. Dave, Dave if, if I could jump in, sure I just got to tell you, one, Jen and Bailey Morris has been, have been outstanding in um, setting up the parameters and leading us through and being understanding because there's so many hurdles and obstacles in the way. Um, but I got to tell you about the Oliver Ellsworth school team, our literacy okay. coach, Marcia Ferreira, many teachers. This is pro bono work now. This is, um, you know, Wednesday late nights. This is um, Saturday mornings talking. This is talking, communicating over the weekend. And they're just so dedicated. And so um, we have an awesome collaborative team that has a strong belief system around kids. And they're willing to make the sacrifices necessary to do what's best for our future. And so it's really been kind of a great culture of people collaborating together to make it happen. And we needed all those teachers and all those parents in order to to make this happen in the timeline that we wanted to meet and during the worst part of covid <laughs> yeah yeah you know when everyone of every sort was strained to the hilt sometime sometimes by isolation sometimes by 
you know, fear of the having family members or themselves becoming desperately ill. And I, and my gut tells me that that what you did was the, just what the doctor ordered in a way of giving some people a goal uh, that they knew was going to end up being productive in so many different ways and something to focus on uh, differently than woe is me or woe is us. Is, is that the way you experienced it as well, <laughs> getting through COVID? Oh, yeah. I, we know um, everybody's predicting the the type of social, emotional mm. um, hole we're going to have to fill moving forward. And we know that people have been anxious and um, they've been in fear. And we know that sharing our lives and committing to love is, is, is the way to go. I got to tell you, though, like to, to your question earlier, Dave, like it to anyone who wants to do this process, there's going to be times where you feel that weight. It's the it's the weight because of how much you value what you're doing. It's the weight of the process and getting it right and completing it on time, but you're going to be okay because there's so many different places where you can make up space. So at the beginning, it looks like really large. You could only attack it step by step mm-hmm. and then um, really get through it. But it, when you do, oh my goodness, like mm-hmm. this is, thank you for having us on the show. This, this is the most exciting time right now, Dave. This is great. Mm-hmm. Jen, how did you shepherd this? wonderful group of people, not just uh, Stephen, but the whole gang who all working night and day uh, and doing it virtually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's, was I'm sorry. Jen, that's okay. I was just asking Jen what it was like to be the guide on the side on this whole project. I would love to take credit as the, the Sherpa in the guide, but it really goes to <laughs> Bailey Morse on my team, who is just a, a brilliant project manager. And to what Stephen was just saying, just the, the team that they have on their side, what I, I because it's a passion project, right? As he yeah. was just saying in terms of nights and weekends and things like that. And I feel like that comes through so, so strong and so loud and clear, because I would imagine I have not tried to collect a hundred stories from other places yet. But I would imagine if I translated this into a workplace, it would be wrapped in red tape and bureaucracy and probably take years to accomplish. But because there's a team of dedicated, super passionate people, it's been really, really smooth. And like I said, I cannot personally take any credit. While yes, I founded the company and I've been involved in the process behind the scenes, it's really Bailey on my team who's been the the real kind of connector of all the dots and the glue that has kept everything together as we've moved forward. Steven, I, tell me at least one of the hundred stories that just give us a, a, a touch of what, uh, and maybe one that really surprised you. All right. I got one right here. It's okay. called A Man in the Making. It's by a student named, uh, a six and a half year old student named Mason Cleave. Mm-hmm. I am, I am a man in the making, smart, handsome, and stylish. I am Mason McLean. Let me take you on a journey and show you all the things that make me who I am. The Joker, yes, that's me. I'm so funny that I make my mom and dad laugh so much. I wear cool glasses and have many pairs. Math is my favorite subject, and I love playing video games. At seven and a half years old, my parents told me I have an old soul. 
I love the skin that I'm in. My brown complexion means so much to me. I am a young activist, attend rallies, and using my voice to create change for people who look like me. They call me the young Martin Luther King. There are so many sides to who I am, from loving dinosaurs, movies, playing card games with my family, to being flexible and smooth with my karate moves. I have many titles, son, brother, godbrother, grandson, nephew, cousin, friend, gamer, and the most important title, leader. Oh, how could I forget? I call myself a nerd, but not your typical nerd, a fashionable, lovable, popular, well-liked, smart, and friendly nerd. My dad says, nerds get all the girls. <laughs> I think I get my jokes from him. No girls for me right now, just books, video games, and TV. I'm focused on growing up and being the best man I can be, just like my dad. My dream and goal is to one day become an engineer and hopefully create my own video games. I am, I am, I am loving myself and learning how to become a man. These are all the things that make me who I am and what is creating the man in the making, me, Mason McLean. Uh, now, wait a minute. Uh, Mason is 28 years old, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's actually seven and a half. Yes, seven he's seven and, and a half. half. Yes. Oh, my Lord. Yes. What a... And so my guess is, while there's a little bit of editing that has to be done here and there, that he came through. He is who he is. And that came through. Is that true of all other 99 stories that with some tweaking, each one got to express themselves that beautifully? Yeah, the one the one thing that um, generally led us through and uh, publish your purpose led us through was really keeping the stories as authentic as possible. Mm -hmm. There might have been a correction in grammar here and there or something along those lines, a punctuation here or there, but the content was not really touched. I don't know, Jen, you could speak more to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah, it, it's just really grammatical and you know, punctuation was really everything because it's, especially for kids of such varying ages and so young, they're all gonna express themselves really differently. And if you think about it, for them to submit something and then have it come back to them written differently or more polished, yeah. it just completely defeats the purpose of all of this. So yeah. it was really important to make sure that the message to our editors was we need to preserve the words, the language, the essence of who these children are, and just make sure that we're fixing for punctuation for the most part. I think that's a very delicate balance, but, uh, without that uh, being able to hand it back to them so they could see that very little was changed, maybe a word or two was actually enhanced, is what all of us, you know, over the years who've written articles and books, you know, sometimes we hold our breath when we get uh, even copy editing back, because what, why would you hold a breath? Not so much for criticism from others, but because we don't want what we have said lost. We don't want that meaning reconfigured by someone else. And so Stephen, you're, you're teaching these kids very early on that they are the uh, sources of the meanings they make, that they make their own meanings. Others can learn from them. Uh, but from a pedagogical standpoint, that seems to be really fine teaching to teach these kids mm -hmm. early that they're meaning makers. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's the point of it. Um, 
we're adopting this. Um, this is going to be part of our social studies curriculum. And so when we're studying community and we're sending our kids, we're not, we don't have to import something. We have it right there in our hands. And so we're going to really kind of study each other and what makes us work. And um, a large part of what we're doing in school is going to be celebrating what we currently have and diving into those personal individual experiences so that people can see that there's a variety of perspective um, on any single topic or on any single type of living. And so we're excited about our students, our whole student body getting that out of it as well. When do these books get into the hands of all, all those who would be eager to read them? It's a book ready. Great question. It's a, it's a current work in progress. So <laughs> the, the students and staff and everyone who's been involved will obviously get them before, before the general public does. But sure. I would say sometime in June slash July. That is, oh, that is the current hope. Great. So Jen will be on the phone with the printer, Stephen, right after this call to tell her, <laughs> tell her that we've already got advance notice now. And I, right. when this podcast hits the airwaves, there'll be so much demand. <laughs> what I can tell you is that we're going to have, um, on August 25th, we're going to have a book signing by our four, five, six, and seven-year-olds just to celebrate their story. So books will be in hand and... Um, it's going to be a great time. We're going to put the fireworks on for them. I can yeah, see the calendar, Dave. <laughs> I can see the TV. I will. And I can see the TV and cameras out there as well. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, boy, because we really need good news. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is definitely good news. I, I want to go back to Jen just a moment here, though, because um, Jen, you, you recently founded this business. Could you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to find, found this business and maybe what you were doing just before you created uh, Publish Your Purpose? Oh, sure. I'll give you the abridged version because it can be long and zigzaggy, but uh, <laughs> I founded it in 2015. So we're going, we're in our sixth year, which mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of publishing, there's still not, uh, you know, six years. We've, we've done a lot of work, but previous to this, I had written four books and in doing so, I was a consultant and in doing so, everyone I knew was asking me how I did it. And then my you know, organic, like, hey, I'll help a friend out, turned into, hey, I'll create a program to teach everybody. And then it turned into, oh, oh now I have a publishing company in 2015. So it was very organic. And that is the, the short of it. But, you know, for me, I saw a number of friends get taken advantage of in the publishing process. Yeah. I saw a number of friends who had their, the, their words and the meaning of their words distorted to what we were just kind of talking about. Mm -hmm. And I started to kind of see some trends that so often the publishing industry just really takes advantage of first-time authors and it takes advantage of people from marginalized and underrepresented communities. And yeah. so for me, it was how can I be that, the shepherd through this process for the voices that are often overlooked in the publishing industry and how can we do it with, a, with real intentionality behind it so that way we can really uplift and amplify and elevate all of the voices that are not being heard. What's the importance, Stephen, of, a, of having a book in a person coming out of a person's life? What do you think it means to anyone? I've got a book. Yeah, I just think it means so much. One, I think what it broadcasts to everybody else is that we avoid the single story. You know, mm -hmm. we don't need anybody to conform to an ideal. It's okay to be the individual. 
Um, and for our kids at this age, if they can be an author of a book at this, I mean, author in a book at this age, what can't you accomplish? You've already started it. You know, you started your journey of success. You have already before then because you, you, you know, you're our bright kids in our school, but what can't you do at this age? And I think that's part of it. When you experience this together with the families and you sit down, we have these focus groups and we're working hard, we're creating these stories. At the end, when you do this together, you kind of look at each other and say, we, we could do anything. You know, we could we could do anything. So it's a belief. And I think that for us um, as a school, it's the underrepresented yeah. that that this this story is very important for. And so, you know, we have we're a heavily equity focused school. We made sure that there was a representation within this book that was very representative of our student population. Um, when I approached Jen with some stories that were deemed uh, controversial by some people, she said, no, we're going to publish these. He said, even better, you know? And so that's just kind of where we are because I think that's it. Those are the stories that you have to embrace. Those are the things that when they come into our school or into our classrooms, we have to be able to adapt to that. If we're scared of that, that means we have to get better at it because we should kind of know how to do that. And so... I just think that this, this, our students at the age of 25 are going to look back at this and say, man, I'm part of a community that I did that. Do you remember that? Do you remember OE? You know, I'm so proud to be a part of that and part of Windsor to be me. And I think that's invaluable. Some of them will say, well, all right, we've talked enough. Now we've got to go over and support Mason's campaign <laughs> to be the, <laughs> to run as he's getting ready to run for the state legislature. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been an educator a long while, long before I started college, I worked as a, I think I was about 12 when I started working for a YMCA in Portland, Maine, uh, working on my, uh, very deep instinct that if you can get kids out of their shells, as we used to say back then, and to talk and to imagine and to be playful, uh, much better things could happen for them. Now, what I, the kids we were working with, many of them could, they would come without lunch <laughs> because the the family just didn't um, have enough to put something in a paper bag. Uh, so. That was true, but also there were kids coming from privilege and they all seemed to meet in my pool or out on the playing field. Now, we didn't have a, a racial diversity in Maine back then, unfortunately. Now it's wonderful, but back then, but there was still that feeling, the Irish kids, the Italian kids, mm -hmm. and we needed a place. And that was the philosophy of the why, where everyone was belong and everyone was equal. But just to end my long story here and get back to you, uh, many years later, uh, a family member of mine needed a lawyer. Um, there was a, a domestic thing. And I went to my old high school friend and I said, who could represent her? And he said, and he gave me a name. And it turned out to be one of my kids who back then was a, a just like Mason, he's what we used to say, he was full of beans, could barely settle him down. Come on now, just settle down. <laughs> well, he not only was a gifted lawyer now and well-known all over the state of Maine, but he's 
you know, he's been uh, in elected office and we connected after he solved my niece's problem. And he said, oh man, I wonder what happened to you. <laughs> I said, well, people who know me now wonder what happened to me. But that's the influence, Stephen, you're going to have when you see that um, those kids years from now, you're going to be just flushed with how good it feels to know that in that few moments, which is all it is you get when these kids pass through our lives, you saw something and so did they. And Jen, you've been part of this now. So are we looking for more children in book two for, for your company? <laughs> I would love that. I feel like there's such a, there's such a, just a broad based impact here. And for me, when we're evaluating what book projects we'll take on and what we won't take on, it's really the central focus is the purpose and the impact. Yeah. And so before when Stephen was talking about the team and like the passion and how everybody was going toward that uni united goal, I think it's because purpose was at the forefront and at the center of it. And that's why my company is Publish Your Purpose, because yeah. when you have purpose, all of those ups and downs and the challenges of all things related to getting your book published, all of that can kind of seem like, all right, this is just one more thing I got to tackle. I'll figure this out. Because when you're anchored in your purpose, I feel like anything's possible. Stephen, at the beginning of this call, you you mentioned that uh, you could you can envision projects of this nature in other schools. Is that something that you think will happen when this big announcement comes out in August? That other school uh, officials like you, maybe around Connecticut or beyond, might might come to you and say, "How do we do this? And can we do this?" <laughs> what yeah, would you I say? think. Absolutely. I think that this is an extremely powerful project mm -hmm. that just allows people to experience one another. You know, like after this show, Dave, I'm going to look at you totally different than prior to the show. I could have read as much about you as I wanted to, but <laughs> we experienced this together. Yeah. And I think that's the power of books and it allows you to get within somebody's lives and to understand them a little bit better. And I think that everyone in education is trying to do that. I think, you know, especially as the world is increasingly changing, mm -hmm. anything from our demographics and, you know, there's all different types of families moving in and how do we adapt? How do we make people comfortable? How do we, uh, you know, share our experiences? And um, I think that this is one of those powerful ways to do so, you know. Um, it's one of those things that, like, you just have to love. It's similar to the passion of loving sports. Who doesn't love to share a great story and to get to know somebody better? So who doesn't want to watch a great ball game, you know, and, and cheer together? So yeah. Um, well, folks, we, we're almost down at the magic moment where I know my listeners may be going, I love hearing this, but you know, I've got to, <laughs> you know, I need to gas up my car. I have something on the stove. Uh, one of the wonderful things about podcasting is, is to your point, Stephen, you do hear people in conversation, which, which is my son, Dave, and I have studied, and that's why we focus on conversation as a way of hearing practice speak, you know, th through, through what you two have just done for, for me and for us. Uh, but the, but the, the, other, the other thing is that at some point, you go, you've got to uh, scale things out. And so what I see in, in your book is that it can go into the hands of quite a few people. They can look at it. They can read the story about the story, the book. And if they want to move in that direction, they can do that too. Uh, and pretty soon, uh, 
we're going to hear the voices of a lot more a lot more uh, children. I hate to even think of those children now because a lot more young authors with a big Y for young. <laughs> but I, I, I thank you. Thank you for your work and for this opportunity to learn about it. Uh, Jen, any final words from you? No, I would just say for those that are local in Connecticut, if you want to experience young authors sitting behind a table and signing their books, I feel like it is going to be a very magical experience. So I think, Stephen, you said it was August 25th. So for those that are local, I feel like, please, please come, come experience it. Will that be at the Windsor Library or the school at the, uh, at the school? I believe it's going to be at the school as of right now. That sounds great. Okay. Yeah. Well, and Stephen, final thoughts? Just, uh, there's, I'm just really proud of this moment. Um, just hearing the conversation and sharing this, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a bald headed black guy. And, you know, one thing, one, one of the magic things to a freshly shaved head is to not get the chills. Cause when you get the chills, your hair stands up, kind of grows out a little bit. <laughs> but hearing, hearing your questions, Dave, hearing the purpose of your show, um, hearing Jen's purpose about how the company came about and to know what we're doing with our kids. Um, I've had the chills the whole show. So I hope other people have enjoyed it as much as I have and um, to hang out with on this show with folks as such as yourselves. I'm, I'm really proud of that and, and happy to celebrate. I can't top that. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcasts, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.